Caught between a rock and a hard place, new polls, new ads, and a celebrity endorsement. This is the week of October 8th. Welcome to Grand Divisions. I'm Joel Ebert. I'm Natalie Allison. I'm Joey Garrison. So last week, we obviously had a lot of interesting things to talk about. This week, I feel like is just the same thing. It's This is absurd, the amount of news we have to discuss this week. First and foremost, the most uh, important thing being Brett Kavanaugh. The Supreme Court nominee was confirmed uh, recently over the weekend. Uh, we had the day before his confirmation vote in the U.S. Senate, Phil Bredesen, um, obviously a U.S. Senate Democrat candidate uh, for U.S. Senate, came out and said that he would actually support if he were in the Senate, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Joey, let's kind of break up that down a little bit there. What was the initial reaction from some folks to this announcement? Well, you know, Bredesen had said that he had held off on, on uh, giving his yes or no answer on Kavanaugh as he was studying uh, the hearings and wanted to talk to more people about Kavanaugh. Finally, as you say, he broke uh, kind of the silence on there. And, I, and, and not surprisingly, it was met uh, with a lot of disappointment from some of his Democratic uh, backers in Tennessee. See, uh, but really, you know, I don't, I don't know why people would be that surprised that he came up with this uh, uh, this position. If you followed uh, Who Phil, Bre- yeah. Phil Bredesen's career, I mean, he he ticked off Democrats repeatedly. Um, Ten care um, kicking off folks off the yeah, and and you know, we, Joel, we had talked about this on this show and Natalie uh, a couple weeks ago that we had thought that uh, he was going to come out. Uh, in favor of, of Kavanaugh, if we had to guess. Now, of course, what happened since then was the sexual assault allegations from Christine Blasey Ford and others. Now, what he says is that he was ready to, that indeed he was ready to support Kavanaugh, but that this sort of changed things. Uh, but ultimately, he, he uh, explained to, to Pat Nolan, a local political analyst on his TV show over the weekend, uh, that it, quote, didn't rise to the level of disqualifying for him. I'll just read off uh, Bredesen's quote. In my mind, uh, this, again, this is Bredesen talking on uh, Channel 5. In my mind, you had kind of ended up with a very opaque situation three and a half decades ago where there was no particular corroboration of it or disproving of it. It's something that happened when they were in their teens, if it happened at all. And I just sort of felt like it didn't rise to the level of you would disqualify somebody from the Supreme Court based on that stuff. You have Democrats, some Democrats, apoplectic over this, some saying, oh, we're not going to vote for him. You had MoveOn.org, who actually hadn't been in the race before, say, we're not going to put money into the Tennessee race now. Uh, This politically is a calculated move, I would guess. I mean, this is, they probably saw polling and saw that there has been overwhelming support for Kavanaugh in Tennessee. So if you're Phil Bredesen and you break with exactly what the party lines were before and say, no, I'm not going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh, it, it, it might doom his campaign. Yeah. Well, throughout this campaign, Bredesen until now has been able to avoid there being this sort of hyper-partisan issue being in this race. It's allowed and, Bredesen... And federalization. Yeah, he it's allowed Bredesen to, to stress, to, to, to focus on his personal brand, that people know him, and right. it's allowed him to sort of skirt away from these sorts of issues. Now, this, you couldn't have a more... Uh, you know, partisan-charged, controversial issue than this. And it's galvanized, electrified Republicans. Previously, I think that there had been a thought that Republicans weren't energized for this midterm election. This has energized it. And it could 
you know, as new polling shows, it could mean really bad things for, for Bredesen's chances. We'll see. We're still sort of digesting. Four you know, weeks for the Democrats right. that come there's around. There's one yeah. new poll, and we're going to get to that in a second, that shows Blackburn up eight. I know there's been some sort of questions about its methodology, whether... Uh, but but I think it is a fact that, and this poll shows that, Bredes, that Kavanaugh uh, was, is supported by 47% of Tennesseans, rather his confirmation, whereas only 30% are opposed to it. And so I think there is evidence to show that, that you know, Kavanaugh, by and large, had his support had support, uh, his confirmation had support among Tennesseans. Natalie, uh, you, uh, Joey, brings up the, the excitement level. You were at a recent fundraiser where Marsha Blackburn was in Williamson County. Uh, what was the energy like? What was the audience? I mean, was it a massive crowd? Was it a, a smaller thing? Well, Senator, State Senator Jack Johnson, who has put on this event every year for the last 11, 12 years, as long as he's been in office, um, he went on stage and he, he said, Brett Kavanaugh, and he and the crowd started applauding and he said something like, you know, I, I like the way that sounds. And so obviously it, it was a rallying point for the people who were there. They had uh, what Senator Johnson described as his largest crowd ever. Um, who showed up for the event? I had heard something like eight hundred people. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, that many. Okay. Um, I I asked him. He said I think around seven hundred had RSVP'd. You know, that's still a lot around of people. Seven hundred. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but that Brett Kavanaugh. That was that was something that that they did rally around, and that was something that of course Blackburn brought up in her speech at it, which we can talk more about. So, Joey, you alluded to, you know, this this latest poll. It was of course a CBS poll came out over the weekend. Uh, it had. Um, Bredesen at 42 and Blackburn at 50. Um, that's been a little bit out of line compared to other recent polls. Days before that, Fox News had a poll that had Blackburn at 48, Bredesen at 43. Yeah, five point. One yeah. month before, uh, it was a spread of 47, 44 in favor of Blackburn. And then um, more recently, we also had a NBC and SurveyMonkey poll that showed a dead heat, 42, 42, and 15 uh, percent undecided. What do, what do you think these polls are telling us? I mean, is there a clear well, again, shift I mean, that yeah, Blackburn's think, well, in the We'll lead? probably maybe need to see one more poll result to see whether we you know have the whether Blackburn for sure is in the lead but I think coinciding with this uh, Kavanaugh debate I think that Blackburn has capitalized on it uh, and, and you know going back a little bit to the Kavanaugh issue you know Democrats uh, I've seen a lot wonder whether this is going to hurt uh, you know the turnout of his base. Is this going to to you know dampen Democrats uh, uh, wanting to get involved in this race? And I heard stories about Democratic supporters of Bradison, you know, deciding maybe they're not going to volunteer anymore. That things like that. However, I will just you know I, I think thinking about it politically here, if Bradison was against Kavanaugh, Blackburn would be able to say here's uh, another accurately yeah. that if Phil Bradison were your senator, he would have been able to help stop. Kavanaugh from being, you know, the next Supreme Court justice, because obviously you could just do the numbers here and, you know, that would would play out as such. And so I think it would. I mean, it would be very close. And so you could make that that would have totally reinforced that argument. And I think it would have I mean, it's hard not to imagine that that might have just totally been an indoor. And I think this is yet another move by Bredesen's campaign and him as a candidate to undercut some of these arguments against him. Right. That he's in uh, in Chuck Schumer's pocket that uh, he's already come out and said, no, I'm not. I actually wouldn't vote for him. This is another one where where Blackburn for weeks had been saying, where is Phil Bredesen? Where is Phil Bredesen on Kavanaugh? And now 
not really to his surprise, but I think to his base, they were disappointed to say that. But I least. suppose the good news for Bradison is that this issue... Uh, it's yeah, over. It's now. over now. It should it, be. It was, it, honestly, if he wasn't confirmed, and, and this was a lingering thing, and this was a and cloud over the whole thing, that th- might have been really complicated. Think about the timing of this, too. If he has pissed off uh, Democrats... He's got four weeks to turn them around, two weeks until early voting, but four weeks to get them to go out to the polls. So Yeah, and I still think, it, I mean, it's a very close race. The whole eight point, right, for right now is kind of in context with that Fox News poll does show maybe a shift. But it, it, until we see another one with that kind of margin, it's sort of an outlier. In addition to these latest round of polls, we've seen a slew of new ag- negative net ads, mostly attacking Bredesen. I believe it was four uh, or five going after Bredesen from everything from his time as governor uh, uh, in the opioid crisis to uh, the, his support of the health care system. Um, there was also a critical piece against uh, Blackburn. Um, all of these are paid for by national groups. I mean, this is just kind of what don't you guys see in line with what we expected that in the final month, the final weeks of this campaign, it was just going to be a national moneyed interest pouring into Tennessee. Yeah, and you know, I was watching the uh, the football. What was it? NFL Sunday Night Football, and I, it was just one after another. Yeah, it's an onslaught. And, yeah, and, and a lot of folks were wondering when it was going to start clicking in. I really think after Labor Day is kind of when that that started. And now the last week or two, uh, and, you know, and they're all you know very negative ads, as you alluded to. I think I saw several for the NRSC, the National um, Senate, uh, Republican, National Republican Senate Senatorial Committee, Committee. Yeah. and and yeah, where we were at that stage where. Uh, you know, this is going to be like this through November 6th. Natalie, any other thoughts about the Blackburn fundraiser that, you know, was there any particular topic that she tried to stress in her speech? Well, she did, uh, you know, take a jab at Bredesen for his waiting so long to come out with a stance on Kavanaugh. That's kind uh, of a wonky jab, though. Yeah, it was. I mean, and what what can they say? Oh, he right. came out. Yeah, but this issue. This I mean, this changed. I think if we if we end up going back looking at Bredesen losing this race, Blackburn, we're going to say that this, this is the is issue it. that I think. Don't you? I mean, yeah. Well, what she said was he had a really hard time deciding what to do, and you know, obviously she was saying that sort of in jest to get laugh laughter from the crowd. But you know, what can they say? They can't. Criticize criticize him for, you know, rebelling against Chuck Schumer or for it's, supporting a guy that they really love. Well, and it's also hilarious after after the uh, Bredesen made the announcement, I believe a national group said, oh, he finally got permission from Chuck Schumer. Really? So Chuck Schumer came out and said, who voted for or against Kavanaugh and was bucked by one other U.S. senator of his own party, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, that he finally gave the OK. I, it just that doesn't seem to hold much weight. I, I mean, do go like back and wonder what if Bredesen had came out earlier in support, like before the sexual assault. Right. Allegate. But, you know, at the time he was doing this to all reinforce him as, as the one studying the issue and wanting, you know, uh, you know, taking it seriously and I, being appalled at the, the the way a lot of Republicans came out immediately for and a lot of Democrats immediately against. So, but it's in some ways it kind of backfired as, but well, you could have never for, foreseen, you know, what was going to happen. Obviously. Well, and I also think the timing of it, literally the time he came out with it, what his decision was, was seconds before they actually started on oh, a yeah. procedural vote on Friday, which again, undermined, maybe he just did this because he, he, counted the numbers in the Senate and knew that this was going to move forward. Yeah, at, at the fundraiser, Blackburn actually 
this was inaccurate, but she actually said he he came out after the after the vote had happened. He no. came out after yeah. it was already done, which wasn't exactly what happened, but it was close. I mean, it was it was right before the 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 vote to end discussion and to move to the final. So as uh, we kind of head into the final weeks, one of the big things that happens now is fundraisers. Marsha Blackburn obviously had this big one in in Williamson County. Uh, Joey Phil Bredesen's got another one. What what's that all about? Yes. Yeah, so on October 9th, uh, and I don't have the calendar immediately. I guess that's tomorrow. tomorrow Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday night, he'll be in New York, uh, in Manhattan, for a fundraiser at, uh, hosted by uh, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Bloomberg, obviously, used to be a Republican mayor of uh, New York, then became an independent. Now he's more aligned with Democrats, actually. You know, some think he might run for, as a Democratic, uh, for Democratic president in 2020. Uh, he has a lot of uh, several liberal stances on uh, on social issues, including uh, gun control. Guns, yeah. And honestly, it's it's a little surprising that uh, I am, anyways, that Bredesen would do this. Of course, he, I mean, Bloomberg is somebody who's popular among uh, a lot of independent voters and 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 some Republican voters too. Uh, so maybe he thinks that it's an okay calculation on that part. But it is open him up, uh, and he was quickly criticized by Blackburn and, and national Republican groups for, uh, you know, given Bloomberg's strong gun control support uh, and, and, and Blackburn obviously being endorsed by the NRA and, and, and Bredesen uh, with, with a new D rating from the group. Another new development this week was uh, a story that Natalie and uh, myself worked on, the story that Marsha Blackburn in years past attended uh, what some deem as questionable conferences. Natalie, give us the highlights of that story. Yeah, so we found out that Blackburn has attended, spoken at uh, conferences for FAIR, which is an anti-immigration, or they would call themselves anti-illegal immigration, but uh, the SPLC and and ADL, other groups like that, would describe them as anti-immigrant in general. Uh, She attended FAIR conferences, also ACT for America, which... You know, the Southern Poverty Law Center would would call an anti-Islam, anti-Muslim hate group, um, and we also found out that she had met with members of Austria's Freedom Party, which is it's a far right political party in Austria. Its roots go back to some former Nazi officers who started the party in the mid century. And um, she she met with them when uh, the president the inauguration. inauguration. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So they were in Washington. Uh, we had her campaign confirm that she did go by a dinner that was uh, being hosted by. Steve King from Iowa. He is really controversial in that he's retweeted neo-Nazis and as, you know, he has come out with some fairly white nationalist views of his own, um, anti-immigration, things like that. And um, so we we laid out, you know, which conferences she had attended and and her campaign, of course, responded saying that she she condemns hatred and 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 all this has a backdrop of in the past Marsha Blackburn has gotten criticized for inviting uh remind me of this guy's David name, O Jones who was the head of the He was head of the Tennessee chapter of the League of the South which okay. the SPLC would call a neo-confederate hate group they've advocated for southern secession today they're actually um, even more white nationalist than they used to be. And but. so uh, Blackburn at one point invited him to Congress to to lead a prayer on the floor of the, the House of Representatives. Back at in the, 2004. Yeah, at the time, uh, it, I, I don't think that it made many waves, but it got some attention more recently um, with national reporting on it. And a uh, spokeswoman essentially said the same thing that we heard, uh, you know, uh, for this latest story that, you know, she doesn't associate yeah. with... 
that she that she hasn't spoken to David Jones in a while. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've reached out to Lee of the South before to see if he's still active. And apparently he's not active in the group anymore. Um, he's he's laying pretty low. So, of course, you know, uh, attending a conference is not, you know, a damning thing. But what we try to do here at the Tennessean is just report on all as- aspects of this campaign, whether it's policy, political, whatever else. So stay tuned. We've got more stories in the works in the next uh, couple of weeks. Today on the podcast, we have Bapa Mukherjee. He is the chief executive officer of Java Medical Group, but he also helps run a hospital in Coffee County. Uh, he is the chairman of the board of Unity Medical Center. Okay. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. So, Bapa, let's start by you telling us a little bit about the situation in Manchester County with the hospitals. Uh, until recently, there were two there for a while. So can you tell us a little bit about what those hospitals were why they merged, and what the situation is. Absolutely. Um, the, there was a county-run facility as well as a privately-owned facility in Manchester, Tennessee. Uh, the hospitals were just uh, three miles apart, both off of the same exit. And uh, in 2002, the county-owned facility ran into some trouble, and um, a we worked with a group of doctors and uh, ended up purchasing that hospital from the county and ran it for years and years and years. Um, then in 2010, there was the Affordable Care Act that came out, and at that point, they basically outlawed physician-owned hospitals and the grandfathered in uh, the existing hospitals but put severe restrictions on their ability to expand. So we'd look to sell the hospital to a non-physician-based group in order to allow the hospital to continue to uh, adapt its service model, but couldn't find anybody, uh, largely because there was another hospital just three miles away and in a small town of about 10,000 people doesn't really make a lot of sense to have two hospitals. So in 2015, we were able to successfully merge those two hospitals and um, rename it. We One was called Medical Center of Manchester and the other was uh, United Regional Medical Center. So we um, put those two facilities together, moved to the newer campus, and uh, renamed it Unity Medical Center in July of 2015. So when that happened, did the people of Coffee County lose services? Can you describe whether services were lost? Did they stay the same? Did you improve service? What happened? Sure. Uh, The main reason that we wanted to combine the two hospitals was really to eliminate some of the overhead. Uh, Running a small hospital, uh, specifically running an ER, is basically an operation that you're constantly subsidizing. And having two emergency rooms three miles apart for a small, again, small town didn't really make a whole lot of sense. So uh, we did not close down an Uh, an emergency room. There's still 24-hour emergency service there, and the community did not lose any services. And in fact, uh, after the merger, we were able to add um, and expand some of the services, though we're still uh, significantly restricted under the Affordable Care Act from being able to add new services. Of course, this is an issue, you know, in this year's governor's race that rural hospitals, they keep talking about that we've seen several of them here in Tennessee uh, you've got two candidates up there now. One of them says that we can stave off this closure of rural hospitals, Carl Dean, uh, with the Affordable Care Act expansion. Um, you know, the other really talks about how we have to reinvent healthcare in in this state and in this country. Um, what do you make of those those arguments on the campaign trail? 
Well, it's a definitely a enormous uh, issue, not only in Tennessee but across the country. Tennessee actually second uh, got the second leading number of hospitals closed down in the country to Texas. So uh, we're clearly in the middle of a, a of a rural um, medical kind of crisis for these hospitals. Quick question: Since when? What time period are we uh, talking? Since about two thousand and ten. Okay. So, um, and there are uh, a lot of hospitals that are still in trouble, and. Uh, the main reason, in my opinion, running multiple rural hospitals over uh, the years is what we're seeing, especially in rural America, is a decrease in the number of inpatients and the number of inpatient days. And hospitals traditionally relied on that inpatient revenue to, to sustain themselves. I mean, when you think about a hospital, you're likely think about either a hospital room with a nurse coming in uh, to take care of you or the emergency room. So uh, as you see hospitals built around the concept of providing inpatient care, and we're seeing an increased reduction. That sounds ironic. We're seeing a continued reduction in the amount of, of inpatient days, and that's putting a severe stress on the hospital. So um, while I do believe that it's a good idea to expand um, uh, Medicaid, or in, in this case, TenCare, because it brings in additional dollars into the state, I don't necessarily think that's going to help rural hospitals specifically. It's, it's not going to change that scenario. That's exactly right. You may have more patients that have access to insurance, but that does not necessarily mean that they're in rural counties versus urban counties. It doesn't mean that they would utilize services differently if they had uh, if they had those. So uh, again, it would bring in additional dollars. But you know, for the last several years, as we started noticing this trend, we've been moving to change our business model and expand our business model. So what I would say would be more relevant to the community that we live in. If we're offering services that people don't need and we can't replace them with services people do need, well, then we really don't need to be running a hospital. It does not serve a community purpose. So three years ago, we added an outpatient opioid addiction treatment center. Hmm. We increased the amount of outpatient surgeries we were doing in our hospital. So now we're doing things like total joint replacements. We're doing things like vascular surgery. Uh, so these are generally minor procedures but it's you know, not necessarily that you have to drive an hour and a half to get to Nashville or to Chattanooga in order to have a have these procedures. So we're trying to augment the, our revenues with um, with additional services, and those services have been very well received in our community. And you know we're now being able to at least to some extent uh, keep our runway a little bit longer than some of these other hospitals that don't have the resource or haven't started really looking at what they need to do to stay relevant for their community. So a common talking point among Democrats right now is Medicaid expansion is going to save rural hospitals. Can you respond to that? Do you think that that's true? It sounds like what you were saying before, Medicaid expansion is a good idea from your perspective as someone in hospital management for X reason, but it actually isn't because you think it would save rural hospitals? Yeah, it's a difficult question because uh, healthcare in general is pretty complicated. But I would say that um, I support Medicaid expansion because the large problem that we have, a large problem that I'd say most uh, rural hospitals have, or safety net hospitals are, you have a very large number of uninsured patients that you take care of. Uh, we don't turn them away. You do have to, you know, provide care for them. And... Uh, that is uh, just another one of the challenges that you have to overcome in order to make your financial model work. You're going to subsidize your ER and you're going to take care of a lot of people that don't have insurance. So the ability to have more people on insurance 
in general would help, but I can't necessarily say if we expanded Medicaid that people in Manchester specifically would uh, be able to get more insurance. It's really dependent on a lot of different factors. All that being said, Medicaid expansion should bring additional dollars into the overall healthcare pool in Tennessee. And to that extent, I think it's a good idea. I know it comes with certain strings attached and that's more of a political debate. I'm just talking about from a standpoint of running my business, the more dollars that go into healthcare, the better it is for me. Uh, but again, I don't believe that there's a specific connection to say if we expand Medicaid that we are going to be able to save rural hospitals. I think that's a very tenuous connection uh, from what we've seen in uh, my experience. Is there anything you think is missing from this conversation statewide right now about Medicaid expansion in rural hospitals? Uh, I think the main thing that we need to, to really look at is how do you make rural hospitals relevant to their communities and whatever resources we can bring to do that. Now, if Medicaid expansion brings additional resources to those hospitals so they can change their business model, then I think that would make a tremendous amount of sense. I think the hard part is you've got hospitals that have been struggling because they don't have huge patient populations and they don't have the resources to go ahead and say, well, I can offset all this revenue instantaneously because it takes reinvestment in order to bring additional services. Great. Thanks, Papa. Thank you. With me this morning is a political science professor, John Gear, and now a, a, a dean at the university uh, or at Vanderbilt University. Um, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So, uh, Professor Gear, you know, a lot of uh, has been made on uh, Carl Dean really kind of taking this issue of Medicaid expansion and just really running on it. And the first debate that he had against Bill Lee, uh, it was really an important and, and recurring theme throughout the debate. Is this, right. is this an issue that you think can help him in no, uh, the November election? I think it can. And I want to emphasize the word can in the sense that the public over you know a number of years has shown support for what Governor Haslam called in true Tennessee, and there's been a lot of support for, you know, for ta for taking the Medicaid expansion money. Of course, if you called Obamacare, it has a completely different cast. But, you know, we're t nearly two years into the Trump presidency, and so, you know, I think there's an opportunity for for Mayor Dean to make some inroads on this issue. Do you see this issue, though, hurting him in terms of the moderates and and kind of the independent voters? Actually, no. Um, the the we polled maybe a year ago or so on Insure Tennessee, and independents are very much in support of taking Medicaid expansion money. Uh, Republicans were more divided about it, but the real opposition was in the the conservative, the hardcore conservative group. So I think this can play, um, and if, if it's pitched in the right way, it also can play in the rural areas too. Well, especially because the, the rural hospital closures, is that what you're, you're suggesting? Exactly. I mean, this is, you know, this is an issue that does, um, does give Carl Dean a chance to, you know, to, to get an edge on, on Bill Lee, because it's, you know, if you, if you took, call it Obamacare, no, the state does not support it. But if you actually break it down to Medicaid expansion or certain components of Obamacare, like providing you know, children up to the age of 26 coverage or portability, 
those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, it becomes much more of an issue that works for someone like Carl Dean and works against uh, Bill Lee. One of the issues that, you know, I think is quite noticeable is you have uh, Dean saying this this one position that we need to expand over and over again. He says it's a solution to the opioid crisis, to the rural hospitals. Uh, on the other side, you have Bill Lee, who essentially says, no, we need to drastically change the health care system. We need to incentivize lower costs. Uh, we need to do this in not only Tennessee, but in the nation. And we shouldn't be throwing uh, Tennessee and federal money at a broken system. Does that that line of thinking for for Bill Lee, is that kind of nuanced? And, and will people, you know, follow and rally behind that? Or do they just want to hear this, you know, no Obamacare kind of sharp line? Yeah, I think that it's I mean, I think Bill Lee's response is per, is perfectly fine. I don't, I don't think it. Um, I think Carl Dean probably still has a small edge on it. And certainly Dean must, his polling must be showing it's having some effect because he's, he continues to, to talk about it and hammer, hammer on it. And so, you know, I think that, you know, Lee can check it a little bit, but there's still probably a bit of an edge for, for Dean overall on this issue, whether it's enough to transform the race, that's a much bigger and more difficult question to answer. John Gear, political science professor and dean over at Van- Vanderbilt University. Thank you again for coming on. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thank you. And now we'll move into our brief notebook dump of all the other news that happened this week that we don't have time to go in depth on. Starting with State Representative Mark White. He is a West Tennessee Republican. He is over the West Tennessee Economic Development Caucus uh, that started up at the beginning of the year. He tried to put on or is trying to put on a series of luncheons for both gubernatorial candidates and both candidates for Senate that sort of fell apart this past week um, when... Representative Andy Holt, he's another Republican from West Tennessee, said because Bredesen and Dean were being featured in these luncheons that he was not going to attend. And since then, we've had some changes with dates, um, but they are still planning on holding those luncheons so that business people, uh, other political leaders in West Tennessee can hear from the candidates. Taylor Swift, who I'm told is a pretty popular uh, pop star Shake it uh, off. with ties to Tennessee. She, Do you know any of her music, Joey? Yeah, I've heard of that uh, Shake It Off and then that a uh, couple other songs that get stuck <laughs> in my head. I just didn't know the titles. But she broke what has been years of uh, political silence this week by endorsing dun, dun, dun. Yeah, Phil Bredesen <laughs> in the uh, Senate race. And Jim Cooper, who hasn't had a credible challenge in years, <laughs> nevertheless endorsed him in the uh, uh, congressional race, which is Nashville's congressional district. Um, she uh, said she was appalled by the uh, voting record of, of, of Marsha Blackburn and, and couldn't uh, stay out of this race, said it's very important to her. It was met with some criticism from uh, from Nash- the National uh, Republican Senatorial Group, uh, which said... Uh, yeah, yeah, and this isn't the first time that they've they've criticized Bradison for for the backing that they've. Uh, he also got uh, help from Jason Isbell and Ben Folds earlier, and, and criticize and the group criticized that. For the record, we have invited Taylor Swift onto this podcast via the Twitters, and uh, I reached out to her. Uh, uh, what do you call him? Uh, agent, I guess, but have not heard back to this. Oh, point. and the NRSC criticism, I, I couldn't 
quite remember what it was. It was that she uh, came down from her, quote, ivory tower to sure. help uh, Phil Bratherson here. Oh, no, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Marsha Blackburn continues to miss more votes while campaigning. Uh, we took a look at recent uh, bills that were up in in uh, Congress that were under consideration, one specifically on opioids and um, another on, God, I don't even remember what, but uh, <laughs> but Blackburn has come under fire for uh, missing votes while campaigning, and this is an issue that uh, I asked her about in a recent interview. She basically uh, declined to comment, say uh, that she looks forward to the president and the Senate taking up these issues that she missed votes on. The House Criminal Justice Committee met for an eight-hour long meeting that I sat through uh, to talk about possible criminal justice reform coming up in the next legislative session, what that would look like, changing the state's sentencing codes. They heard from district attorneys. They heard from public defenders, from law enforcement, from advocacy advocacy groups, et cetera. So we will see if they actually take that up next session. Governor Bill Haslam recently uh, announced his decision to allow the execution of 63-year-old Edmund Zagorski, who in 1984 killed two men during a drug deal. Uh, this will be the second uh, execution in the last month, and there is one more scheduled before the end of the year. And finally, the Tennessee State Museum uh, opened in Nashville last week. It's north of the state capitol uh, and has been years in the making. It got the funding a couple years ago from Haslam and the uh, state legislature. And Haslam, you know, I was able to get it opened here just uh, a couple months before he leaves office. It'll be uh, one of his legacies here in Nashville, right next to the farmer's market. As we uh, end our show today, we've got a couple of key things to keep in mind. Uh, Voter registration deadline is October 9th, maybe the day you're listening to this. So make sure you're registered to vote so you can vote in the, uh, the November general election. Early voting starts October 17th, so right around the corner with, of course, uh, the election two weeks after that. Uh, we've also got three debates this week, two on the governor's side, one on the U.S. Senate. That'll round out all of the, the debates in the lead up to the general this year. We will, of course, have a special episode of the podcast dropping on Thursday where we'll recap both debates. Natalie and myself are going to be there uh, providing coverage. And finally, we've also got campaign finance deadlines coming up. So keep track of how the candidates are raising and spending money. Uh, we'll be uh, on the lookout for that. Uh, as we uh, conclude, we will see you next week. And Maybe thanks Taylor for listening. Maybe Taylor will come on the special Hopefully. episode. We'll see. Maybe Taylor can come on. Thanks for listening again. This is Joel Ebert with Grand Divisions. This is Joey Garrison. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week. Mm-hmm.